0: Forgiveness is an essential part of life balance, growth, and is essential to our physical and emotional health. The practice of forgiveness is often promoted as a necessity, yet few actually teach how to forgive. On this podcast, we explore the system, the challenges, and the lasting benefits of practicing forgiveness. This is Speaking True with Ronald Chapman. We are here with Ronald Chapman. We're talking about forgiveness. And how we can move past all of this election day anxiety, (laughs) how how would you characterize it? I mean, we've been going through this for the past 18 months now. There's been a lot of vitriol. There's been a lot of uh, rants. There's been a lot of stress and anxiety this election season, I I think on both sides of of the whole election. but. In this space of forgiveness, how do we move forward after the election is over? <laughs> how do we live with each other after oh, this? Though? It's, it's going to be tough, isn't it? It's just <laughs> going to be tough.
1: Well, you know, I suppose, Shan, that um, I mean, the starting point has to be that you're just you're, you're just fed up. I mean, you've had enough, um, and that's a tough one because if you if you've felt injured enough, if you've been devastated by somebody else's perspectives and commentary whether in person or on social media, it's hard to let go of. But the starting point is really sort of an honest stock taking with oneself, you know, to look at one's own values. And most everybody I know doesn't want to be the kind of person who's hate-filled for the rest of their life or the kind of person that um, sets aside relationships with people for long periods of time. They don't want to be the person on their deathbed who says, Oh, man. I wish I'd done it differently. But if we don't have that talking to ourselves, we have an uncanny ability to convince ourselves we could maybe not deal with it and maybe not today. And then after a succession of days, it becomes increasingly difficult to consider crossing the chasm again.
0: So got to have a hard talk with yourself about the values of it. Do you think at the core of it all, it's really that each one of us believes that we're right <laughs> yeah, well, and yeah.
1: yes. And we are just absolutely certain of how wrong they are. And so a piece of this has to be, it's kind of a reframing, honestly, where you look at it and you say, you know, if I were in their shoes, seeing the world the way they're seeing it, um, I mean, it's really a reframing where you realize that that based on their circumstances, they just see it a different way. It's the beginning point where you can let them a little off the hook to let yourself off the hook. It's so, I don't know, glib to say, well, put yourself in another person's shoes. So I'm not exactly talking about that, but but really to give some consideration to where they're coming from. Because, I mean, they believe what they believe and their experiences are their experience. So, it's useful. It's useful to let them have their reality, even though it doesn't have to be your reality. I guess what that says is in order for you to be right, they don't have to be wrong. You know, that, mm-hmm. um, you know, we don't have to live in a dualistic world.
0: And what, what is it really that, uh, draws us to have that urge to be right, to always be right. I suppose
1: psychologically, it's the ego, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we like nothing more than to have our reality affirmed, even if we pay a terrible price. It's like, well, okay, it train wrecked my relationship, but I was I was right. <laughs> right? There's a certain <laughs> satisfaction that comes with that, and some would say that that is exactly how the ego works within us. Is it? It is much more interested in having its beliefs and perspectives validated than in anything that might even begin to look like harmony. It points us back once again to a stock taking with ourselves about, so
0: what are we really playing out here with people? Mm -hmm. How do we go through that. How do we take stock? I mean, what's the routine? I guess that the Mm -hmm. steps I start here, I go here and then what? Well, I'm going to steal from the recovery programs, the 12 step recovery programs
1: as a starting point. And uh, yeah, they start with what they call the 10,000 pound pencil. 10,000 pound pencil, 10,000 pound pencil. You pull out a piece of paper, pull out a journal, pull out a notebook, and you start writing about this grievance, which is why it's the 10,000 pound pencil. Cause like nobody wants to do it. No, I'd really rather go to my grave certain. I was right than actually <laughs> begin to look at these things because it's not going to be comfortable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we begin the writing process. And typically that writing process is to, to tell the story of what's happened. But then more importantly, to move on to, all right, so what am I bringing to this? And it always takes two to tango. Mm -hmm. There can't be a conflict without someone on either side of the conflict. And so even if you're 10% wrong, 15% wrong, 70% wrong, uh, it's beginning to look at, all right, what is the basis for my offendedness? How is it I've been seemingly injured? and begin to take a good look at that and then at some point you can switch sides and begin to imagine what it is that they may be experiencing to to get a bit of a glimpse and both of those as you begin to see the story i mean in the best of all worlds you can you can actually get a glimpse into why people are behaving the way they are and and that will that will awaken some compassion in us hmm.
0: okay so embracing this compassion i guess what i'm trying to get at is we have to admit to ourselves that there's a piece of our ego that we need to do away with. Well, honestly, Shan, most of us arrive at this
1: because we're suffering.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Most of us don't come to this conversation because we're, we're virtuous. Um, we believe in forgiveness. We believe in harmony. We believe in peace on earth, all those things. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to it, we really believe in being right more than that. And the classic story you hear is the suffering factor goes up so much. I mean, people start paying a terrible price. And with that terrible price, um, they begin to realize they're going to need to do something differently. And so we arrive at it with this uh, this certainty that we have to do something differently. Else um, never get out from under, which is a, it's a steep price.
0: Right, so we just keep cycling and looping back and forth, and yeah. we never break free of it.
1: Yeah, there. Since I do a lot of this work professionally in all kinds of ways, one of the ones that always sticks home is invariably with these kinds of things. If you start talking about monetary things in families, mm-hmm. almost everybody will say, "Oh, yeah, well, there is my aunt Lottie who has not talked to my uncle Bob for thirty-seven years because they got all hacked off at each other." At a, drunken family picnic you know four decades ago and they've never ever ever spoken again
0: or Thanksgiving yeah Thanksgiving right? <laughs> maybe not drunken but Thanksgiving <laughs> and
1: yeah and we look at that and and the crazy thing is we we see that and we go oh but I'm not I'm not like that mm-hmm. so I would never do that but the launching off part for that is exactly what's happening in this political space right now is people are going down that path. And some of those things, if, if we don't bridge them now, they're not probably ever going to be bridged. It won't get better, it'll only really get worse as time mounts up.
0: So how do we break free of that pull? I go on to social media and I'm looking for things like, maybe the Cubs will win this World Series. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm rooting for them. I'm really pulling for them. But, you know, every other post seems to be about this, this election, that, mm-hmm. about what he said or what she did or mismanaged. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, how do, we, how do we keep ourselves from getting pulled down that path?
1: Well, I do know a fair number of people who are just staying away from it, right? They're just avoiding it. But it's still aggravating them. I mean, mm-hmm. I hear this all the time about people who are being uh, dragged along against their will and in some cases against their knowledge. They're just resentful and don't seem to be able to know why. The thing I have done mostly, I have a couple of strategies. the The thing I I look for is an opportunity to intervene in something, in order to intervene effectively, to not just perpetuate the violence that's going on, the vitriol. the The only way to do that is you've got to find an entree that breaks the cycle. So you can't just go in and say, "Well, you're an idiot," and if you were here, <laughs> I'd punch you in the nose. I mean, you're just yeah, I, I, yeah. On, and right. on and on and on we will go. I'm thinking now about a story. I was on a, I was in a. Uh, schoolyard. This is some years ago. And an older boy who was a little taller than a younger boy was was bullying this kid. And at some point, the little kid turned to him and he looked him in the eye and he said, you hurt my soul. Yeah. I saw the look on your face. It stopped it. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, the little kid didn't try and bully the bully back, didn't run from him, He used an approach point that shifted the conversation in an instant, and that's the kind of interventions we have the possibility of doing. The other one is the one that takes a deep breath, which is to say to someone, hey, can we talk? Right, Not, I'm right, you're wrong, I want to talk to you, right? It's like, hey, can we talk? It, it, It could be an apology, it's not necessary. But, you know, it takes a fair amount of courage to even step into that space. And we've got to be convinced that we don't want to live our life in resentment and grievance uh, for the rest of our life. And people are going to listen and go, oh, it won't be the rest of my life. Well, yeah. talk to your Aunt Lottie and Uncle Bob about how they got (laughs) 37 years down the pike. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by the way, I have one of those in my family system as well, where it's been three decades and the grievance runs too deep after 30 years
0: so it's it's got to be one party that says you know what i'm i'm going to step into this willingly and engage these emotions and and whatever the obstacles are mm-hmm. and let's see if we can take the volume down and mm-hmm. work through it like civilized people right. I, I think we all believe at some level, that we're civilized, right? Well, we certainly would like to believe
1: that, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The behavior doesn't seem to substantiate it on occasion, but yeah. Yeah, someone's got to lean into it and say, okay, let's see if we can't turn this. Now, if I was really going to go real values based on people, what I would talk about is how those ripple effects, they do affect other people. We used to tell the story in uh, quality improvement trainings about how Big boss would yell, little boss, little boss would yell at the line supervisor, line supervisor yell at the worker, worker go home, kick the dog, dog would bite the cat, cat would pee on the pillow. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that that really does. Okay, so maybe not exactly that. But, but that's what happens is this stuff just ripples out. We can see it in traffic. Mm-hmm. We can see it in the workplace quite often. Certainly in family systems. And so if I was really wanting to confront people about the reality, it's like you can't not act this stuff out. Mm -hmm. It will find its way out of you. And the result of that will be unpleasant for somebody else and could be pretty tragic. In fact, there are lots of occasions where it just goes really badly for someone. Um, And we need to stop lying to ourselves about how, well, I can just keep that isolated over there and uh, not... You know, do any character assassination or not let the annoyance and frustration show through to somebody else. We just need to stop lying. It does affect others. Mm-hmm. And because of what you said, that most of us are people of goodwill, when we start telling the truth to ourselves, the goodwill oftentimes will begin to win the day because we just can't. It's like that thing, you know, you're laying in bed at night and you know, there's something you got to make right. Mm -hmm. You just can't, you just, you you just can't go to sleep because you, you you just got to make it right. And that's what happens when you begin telling the truth about this stuff
0: is you, you you come face to face with yourself. Is there an easy button for that? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That sounds pretty difficult.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The three easy steps to not have problems anywhere in your relationships, right? No, but what does happen with time is you get a lot more comfortable with uh, leaning into it with apology, with <laughs> approach. Um, I think what happens honestly, Shan is you get you get comfortable enough with your own discomfort mm-hmm. that it's sort of like it's uncomfortable. What's the big deal? I'd like to get this deal made right. And, right. and we just kind of push right on past it. Not unlike, I mean, I know you've been in gyms before, as most of us have. You know, that first time in the gym, it's, it's, it's tough getting up enough wherewithal to push through the pain, as they would say. It is. But after you've done it, you know, five, six days a week for, I don't know, six, seven, eight months. It's just not a problem. It's just not a problem. And, and presumably the pain is still just as significant in terms of how it's affecting the body. But right. but you, you've you built up your, your spiritual or psychological muscle. And so the result is it's just not
0: a big deal. Kind of like living with physical pain from an injury. Yeah. Your yeah. body adjusts to that. Yeah. And so are you, are you saying that it works the same way with emotional injury? Oh, yeah yeah and just having I was just thinking about this the other day I just
1: um, just recently did a workshop on forgiveness and i was just I was just thinking about how at one point in time it was just almost impossible for me to admit I was wrong and and to to step into it and what I was comparing was so this was you know a couple decades ago or more is is my ability now to very quickly. Just very quickly, especially where clients are concerned, because it's so much easier there, right? I mean, you right. really need to be, you need, you need to bring the goodwill unless something really, really wrong is happening. Okay, all right, I'm screwed up. Uh, what, what do I need to do to make this right? And some people say, well, what if it wasn't me who screwed up? Like, Well, would you like to heal the relationship or do you want to be Right. Um, there is an appropriate place for a concession, if it's appropriate. Uh, and in some cases, that's not the best strategy. I was just recently, uh, just recently encountered someone who used a racial epithet. Um, just out of the blue. And I had to make a decision on the spot whether or not do you say something. And in that particular instance, I decided it just wasn't worth, it, it, just, it just wasn't a good time. And so I I had to, like, um, take a deep breath and let it go because me carrying that around is not going to do anybody any good. But I remember it. And at some point with this person, I may have an opportunity to say something. But for now, it's one incident. And so it'd be different if it happened all the time. Mm -hmm. But that's that's like a... They, they talk a lot about building your, I mean, they really do in, in, in many settings, talk about building your spiritual muscles right by right. simply doing these things. And it's as good a description as any.
0: So we've gotten to the part where we say to ourselves, you know, I'm, I'm hurt and I don't want to feel this way anymore. And I need to do something about it. So we start that whole engagement process, right? Yes, that's and the we start running into that wall and bouncing off of it. How do we get through that? I mean, do we go over the wall? Do we go under the wall, around it, through it? How do we move past that engagement part? Well, the
1: craziest thing is that what I like to call releasing, Mm -hmm. which is sort of a higher game than forgiving. I mean, it's the letting go of. Releasing has a habit of happening just by beginning to engage. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you're stewing on something with your wife, your family, somebody. And as soon as you engage by opening your mouth and say, (laughs) hell, something as innocuous as can we talk. Mm -hmm. Or when you say, you know, my feelings are kind of hurt. Or we need to work this out. Any of those things. The most amazing thing is... Just by engaging, we start something into motion that oftentimes brings with it resolution because a lot of the grievance is actually what's wound up inside us. It's like many, many times what the original offense was because our brain replays it over and over again It's because that's what we do. It's like well, one of my mentors said, it's like, you know, when you get that little chip in your tooth, Mm -hmm. you just can't. Oh, just can't you just can't leave it, and, and it feels so big, and you, mm-hmm. know, you you realize that you're just wearing wearing yourself out with your tongue because you just can't leave it alone. It's
0: like that, and then your tongue is raw, <clears> and it day. feels even larger yeah. every time you touch it. Yeah, and then the dentist looks at it and goes,
1: "Oh, yeah, little Nick, let me just like buff it out." And I was like, "It's like, wow, I thought it was such a big deal." um and admittedly sometimes it is but but the multiplying effect of us worrying it to death
0: mm-hmm.
1: um is oftentimes much much greater than the actual offense nothing like replaying offense oh I don't know 300 400 times to get it to be far more significant it's kind of like the <laughs> fish story right right it's like the fish was it was it was like.
0: Yeah. Um, The fish story has compound interest. Yeah. It just keeps getting larger and larger
1: over time. You know, the surprising part about about the engagement, though, that I've watched over the years, I I do some specific work around conflict mediation. And so the thing that has been amazing to me is the number of times that the person on the other side is surprised Um, or comparably willing. mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not at all unusual for someone to go, oh, I, I have no idea. I, I didn't know I had offended you. But we will never find that out. Because hey, I, I hear a lot of stories about people who just vanish from people's lives. Something happened and it's 10 years later. It's like, I don't know what happened. They just vanished. There was never even a chance to work it out. Hmm. So there's a whole lot of, whole lot of misperception, misunderstanding And of course, to be honest, with social media or email, it's awfully easy to not have appropriate affect in the words we use and for someone to to completely miss it. It's happened to me many, many, many times, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is why they tell you, like, don't hit the send button. Just don't do it.
0: Right? right. That's true.
1: That's that's very true. Back off, breathe, take a walk, talk to somebody about it, and then consider how you want to respond or better still. And I just did this. I actually just did this today. I had set, fired off a note to a client and uh, got a fairly lengthy response where I had managed to throw her into a fear loop about what I was proposing. And I realized I had not been effective at all with what I communicated. So my mm-hmm. first response is, oh, I'll hammer out a reply. And I thought, no, that's a bad idea. You need to pick up the phone and leave a leave a message if you can't get her.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. um, it was very apparent to me that, the, the, that there was a misunderstanding. I own it. I didn't communicate adequately because I was just firing off a little bit of information. And... Hey, hopefully she'll call me back. Hopefully. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. We'll find out what happens. But just hammering off a social media post or firing off an email sometimes is absolutely a colossally bad idea because you just perpetuate the misunderstanding. Even with, with emoticons, smiley face, <laughs> smiley face, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's just It's just not. Sometimes it just doesn't work very well.
0: I find myself leaving a lot of comments unposted. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I see what's being discussed and I want to respond. Yeah. And I want to respond with all of my best knowledge and research and links and things like that. But I find it better policy to write it and just delete it. Well, actually, see, there's a really
1: good strategy is they talk a lot about um, psychologists will will talk a lot about just just burn it out. Right. Mm -hmm. Write that letter that, you know, get the feelings out. Because there's something cathartic about just saying what's on your mind, delete it, or save it. Um, mm-hmm. Better to delete it because sometimes three AM comes around and your your fingers hovering <laughs> over the send <center>, button, right? <laughs> yes, <clears throat> um, and it's like, don't do it, don't do it, oh damn. <laughs> so, uh, but there is there is catharsis, and in, uh, in a lot of healing practices, uh, people write things down and then they burn it. Right. Right. The symbolic letting go, um, which, you know, can help. A lot of it just depends on our commitment to our own healing and our own, you know, success in our own lives versus that. Just got to be right. Just got to be right.
0: You mentioned something earlier about social media and how it's become more difficult to move past some of these old injuries because I was reading an article where they mentioned that the internet has made it harder to forget things. <laughs> <It's right. laughs> it's like, Don't
1: you remember on December 4th when you said bang, 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 bang.
0: And, and thanks to, you know, Facebook's yeah. feature where they remind <laughs> you of sometimes they're not the best memories, right. yeah. but how do we survive emotionally mm. and, and thrive really in A world where, you know, it's become increasingly more difficult to forget things that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's a really interesting experience I've
1: had. Uh, I will periodically have one of those come back round, And I have been known now to laugh at them because, you know, if we clean them up, if we release them, Mm -hmm. if we get done with it, if we let them go. Oftentimes, looking back at them is either humorous or, uh, I mean, honestly, every now and then you'll get one. You go like, what was that about? I mean, literally, it's gone. We have forgotten it. (laughs) And there's there's that there's that wisdom that comes from some teachers, philosophical teachers who will say, like at this moment, Shenandoah, what were you worried about last year at this time? What month is this? <laughs> <laughs> right. See? See? See, it's like I mean really, because there's that instantaneous I mean, what's right before us right at this moment, we feel like is so dramatic and significant and oftentimes by X number of days later, it just pales. It wasn't that big a deal. But that's probably why that's probably why electronic media is so challenging. Is because you get it and, I mean, it would have been different back in the days when your letter had to go by stagecoach, right? Right. I mean, you know, you had a lot of time to think about what you had written or what they had written before the next cycle came around. And I suspect that that deliberative time was a, was a very beneficial thing.
0: Absolutely. Plus, you had the option of burning it later.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, uh, maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need a you know like a series of send buttons. Send urgent. Send. Give me about thirty seconds to think about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, send tomorrow, but remind me before you send it, right?
0: <laughs> That's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> That's
1: right. I can see it popping up. It's like, do you really want to send this? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that was a really bad idea. Delete.
0: Mm-hmm. And now that we've thought about what we're going to say, how we're going to say it, we've started leaning into it, right? Mm-hmm. And we're getting into this really deep place mm-hmm. you know because i i i think of it like you start up here and when you start engaging with it it starts taking you down this rabbit hole right mm-hmm. and then you get you get somewhere down here towards the bottom it's a little bit darker there's not a whole lot of light there might be some scarier fish down here <laughs> and how, how do we come back up how do we come back up from that releasing point and you know, just float back to the surface. <laughs>
1: yeah, I've never thought of it this way, so it's really great. Uh, uh, yeah. When it really gets released, there's a natural buoyancy. I know you and others have had this experience where you finally say something the way you need it needs to be said, or you finally, you, you know, you, that, that moment where it's like, oh, oh. Sometimes it comes because of the interaction with another. It's not uncommon when doing conflict work between intimate partners um, for what to come out is for someone to be surprised because they had not a clue that that was what was going on with their partner. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that's the buoyancy where where one partner will say, well, Shan, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you go, "Um, I had no idea. In fact, I was doing this work with a with a guy, um, almost seventy, professional who's almost seventy, and it was teaching him some tools. I mean, the fact that he was still an active learner impressed me. He was still prof- he was still professionally employed. I got a note from him about a week later. He said I went home and I tried a couple things with my wife. We've been married for you know forty, however many years. He says, Ron we ended up talking about something that we never knew about each other in our 40 plus years together. Cause we'd never broached the subject. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's an anecdote of one, right? Mm-hmm. It's a bit, but, but that kind of stuff happens where suddenly you realize that this thing that has been taking up space in your life is, um, it's just not true or it's not sufficiently informed. Um, 'Cause there's lots of things we don't want to talk about because they're they're uncomfortable.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's gonna take you down into a place that that has a lot of pressure. Yeah. And like I said before, a lot of scary fish live down there. Yeah. And uh you know, it can feel a little suffocating at times. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, well, there's a little more graphic. I mean, I love, the I, I actually love the portrait of buoyancy, but there's another one. I know you're a cat guy, so you'll mm-hmm. appreciate this one. <laughs> it's been referred to as coughing up an emotional hairball, <laughs>
0: right? Right. Yes. I mean,
1: it's really graphic, but I mean, you've watched a cat, you know, they hack and they hack and it's really awful. And then, you know, the hairball's out and it's kind of like, <laughs> okay, where's the food dish, right? right. I mean, I'm ready to go groom myself or something. I mean, it's just, it's, there's that cathartic experience of getting done with something that, that has you know, a natural buoyancy, a natural natural return to balance. You know, there was a great, I don't know, it was a short film. A short clip. What do they call those? Video shorts. There's a video short yeah, t- uh, video that shorts. I saw uh, about a year ago where they showed a um, some kind of a plains animal, savanna animal in Africa being chased by a lion and getting away. And once the animal, I wish I could remember, an impala, something that out just managed to barely get away, and they showed the animal, um, after they were a safe distance away, stopping and just shaking. And they said, well, that's the discharge, hmm. right? Because this difficult situation produced all this swamp of hormones and and all that, um, you know, because it, it was near death. And what the animal will do is stop and just shake it out, you know, release it all. And then they showed the animal going off and grazing. And I remember thinking, it's like, that's that's probably some that, that kind of an idea of just shaking it out of us, uh, doing something to, to release it physically. I mean, the chemicals and everything, particularly if it's traumatic, allows us to return to a, a state of equilibrium more readily.
0: And so once we've gotten there to that state of equilibrium, how do we... How do we maintain that, or is it something that's just ephemeral? Do we maintain it, or do we move on to the next thing and just keep living our lives?
1: I'm of the opinion that that we don't stay anywhere, that we're constantly i mean the best visual for this is imagine yourself on a high wire or a low wire either way, mm-hmm. right, and the wind's blowing and you know trees are I mean everything's going on, and you're constantly rebalancing, right. Right. And every now and then you'll like teeter way off to the edge and you have to like do something extreme to get back. So, I I mean, I look at this as kind of a a dynamic, emotional harmonizing practice or something like that, where, where we just keep, because all day, every, every day uh, we're being exposed to things that will knock us off balance, offend us, um, hurt us, injure us, all those sorts of things. And there's a guy named Stephen Levine who says that, that what we do is we learn how to attend to it on a continuing basis, so that it doesn't, his language was so that it doesn't callous the heart, harden the heart and callous the soul. All these little grievances, um, which he would have said were the explanation for why we run into some of those proverbial, crotchety old people who've got all this unfinished business and which I guess is yet one more reason to take this seriously. I mean, none of us wants to be a crotchety, old, miserable person, Uh, but there is some reason to believe that that's a whole bunch of unresolved injuries built up over time. And um, some of which you can probably not do much about the aging process. is not a kind process necessarily, but maybe we should be more like those uh, savanna animals shaking that stuff off every time we have the opportunity so that so that we can be returned to a more a better state of equilibrium.
0: What is really the benefit of going through this whole process of forgiveness, yeah. professionally, personally, in our own lives, in our professional lives? Sure. Well,
1: let's just go real practical first. There is so much evidence growing about the price we pay for stress, just cumulative stress in all the all the little ways mm-hmm. that. It affects everything from our cardiovascular health, our mental health. Um, many of us have addictions, compulsive eating, uh, you know, forms of behavior which don't serve us well, which are all adaptive because we're we're like stuck with stuff. So if we if we just look purely at the level of physical health, um, you, you see some immediate the data is really strong on this. Uh if we look at it from an emotional or psychological point of view, I mean, just all you have to do is look around at the evidence, usually for older people. I still remember an older couple who clearly had had a good forgiveness practice over their lifetime. And they were wonderful. They were both in their late 80s at the time I knew them. And they were just bright and engaging and um, it was obvious that, that, that the blows of life had not added up upon them. They had clearly... So there's this emotional, psychological health. I use the example of you know, how we, none of us wants to be a crotchety, miserable old person. So, so there's that piece. Um, if we take it into the spiritual space, which most everybody who will listen at least has some humanistic values, if not some religious ones... Boy, the messages in all of those are, you know, okay, so, so, you know, uh, Jesus, forgive 70 times 7, right? Psychology, don't ever go to bed mad at your partner. Let it go. Figure out how to work it out. Don't do it. Mm uh you know the the Buddha uh spent much of his time talking about um the nature of attachment and deep attachment is is grievance right we're attached to the grievance right uh so you just go you go you go down this list i mean the the ancient Jewish tradition is filled with practices intended to let go of things and i mean you I guess you could make an argument that says that we used to be a much more communally oriented species. And that that stuff would cause people to hurt each other badly, um, up to and including murder. And and so it was not good for the species to have that stuff pent up. When you look at the anecdotal evidence in your own life, if you're honest with yourself, it becomes very quickly apparent that that unfinished business that you have with people is dragging you down um, in all kinds of ways. And so pretty much across the board, there's like all these apparent benefits. Um, and yet still, right? It's like, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know if I want to make this. I'm pretty sure I want to hate that person, right? <laughs> yes. We just, it's like I just, uh, because somehow or another, we, uh, we, we convince ourselves that that, that that we can avoid the price. But the evidence is pretty strong that we can't avoid the price.
0: And it's so much more than just saying, I forgive you Oh God, yes. publicly, yeah. but still holding it yeah. privately.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually the, uh, you know, the, you know, they talk a lot about passive aggressive behavior. Well, someone will say, well, it's okay. But then, you know, three minutes later, they make a snarky comment. You can, and you know, it is not, we're not, we're not done with this. Uh, it happens in primary relationships. Oh, it's okay, honey. Right. And then they cold shoulder you. And yes. Like, okay. It, it is not. And probably the greater price, when you look at this in terms of our primary relationships, is that effect over time, right? Where all those unvoiced grievances presumably would lead to breakdowns in the relationships in our lives. So I'd say the evidence is pretty compelling. And probably the reason to look at it that way, Shan, is because nobody will disagree with the virtues of forgiving and love and harmony. And I mean, no, I mean... Go any place. Say, what do you think? Yeah, what, what do you think about peace and harmony? Everybody say, yeah, we want peace and harmony. Uh, you willing to give up your grievances for it? Well, let's don't get rash here, right? <laughs> Sounds a little extreme. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'd rather have those sons of bitches admit they're wrong, and then maybe I'll consider letting them off the hook. And and we haven't really talked about the one piece, which is the, um, I mean, you, when we start looking at trauma, right, mm-hmm. which is literally held in the body. Right. I mean, it is what, what they used to call shell shock, for example. But trauma is not just war. I mean, it's it's a bad car accident. It's even um, uh, what they call high frequency, low intensity um, trauma uh, where you know, you're told you're stupid, you know, 10,000 times by the time you're 15 years old. And you right. know what? I mean, it has an effect, a lifetime effect. And so um, that stuff seems to be literally held in the body. Um, that it's not just cognitive if you if you talk to people who've survived something violent, this is a classic with rape victims who've literally disassociated, which means they are out of body, right mm-hmm. they like it's too painful to be with and while some manage to work their way through that, there are plenty that you know their relationality with men, presuming the rape victim is a female, is compromised for lifetimes because they can't, they, they can't release it. That's a, that's a steep price too. So there's like all these indicators and, and still it's like, well, yeah, but not me. I got this. It'll be fine uh, when, when in fact the evidence suggests that's not true. But we have a remarkable capacity for self-delusion.
0: We really do. Yeah. Yeah. How do we get a jump on this earlier? You know, you're talking Ah, about these older people that have these remarkable lives because they haven't let uh, these old injuries weather them. But we have a whole very large generation that is growing up in this world that, you know, some of the earliest memories were these Mm -hmm. deep, deep traumas that affected us Mm -hmm. on a a national and international level and continue today. And, And you know, it's. Create a yeah. lot of fear and stress. How do we start now?
1: Yeah, it's a great
0: question. And let's
1: just acknowledge um, if you're in some place like, I don't know, pick a place. Iraq. Afghanistan. I mean, that's a pretty awful place. Um, in ter- I mean... Yeah. I'm sure it's a beautiful place, but the cycle of violence is just right. awful. You know, you can make a pretty interesting argument that that cycle of violence is reinforced by generational violence, that, you know, and and those people don't put down their guns and they don't put down their grievances, right? They chase people for lifetimes to kill them. But the trauma
0: on the children is, um, you know, there it is. Uh, well, I think we could say the same thing about a lot of parts of the United States as well. Oh, absolutely. In fact,
1: there's a, there's a body of work called um, ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. I forget the S. Anyway, the data is extraordinarily strong about just growing up in average poverty, average hunger, average violence, uh, greatly decreases the likelihood of success in your life. And so you're If you look at this through Maslow's hierarchy, Maslow basically proposed that to the degree that you could get safety and security taken care of, you can move up the scale of functioning and realization. Well, if you're constantly battling, right, I mean, you won't be doing any self-realization. I mean, it's just, it's going to be very difficult to get to if you're fighting every day just to stay alive. So there are a number of ways to respond to this. One is for the more significant stuff, there's a lot of work being done now on people who Interface directly with children to recognize and and treat trauma on the fly as soon as they see it. First responders, teachers, etc. So that's great. There's a great practice called breath work. I actually have an audio set for that. Oh, breathing, releasing, and breaking through. Imagine that, <laughs> where you can use the breath in the same way that it's almost like as I see, as I see it, it's almost like that 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 animal I was talking about that shakes it off. I mean, you literally use the breath. And with practice, you get better and better at registering this stuff. For me, I've been practicing many years now. And there are often times that I can feel the injury in my body, not physical injury, psychic injury. I can feel it before I can name it now. And I stop and I breathe. Just attending to it, to use Stephen Levine's language, can be very, very beneficial Some people use, you know, things like running. I mean, right? Right. That's like, let's go burn this thing out of our system. There's all kinds of strategies in the best of all worlds, in the best of all worlds. We come up with some kind of practice, mindfulness, breath work. I even know a guy who uses his Tai Chi practice throughout the course of the day, right? To Mm -hmm. work through stuff. There seems to be great value in having some kind of a practice. I mean, people use prayer practice, right? I mean, they do all kinds of things. And what what seems to be the optimal, since we're not any of us... (laughs) Okay, if if you're on the web, you're going to pick up some debris. You're just going to, right? If you're walking the earth... If you're driving the streets of Atlanta, mm-hmm. you're going to have some experiences. So, so you, can't, you, know, you can't eliminate the experiences. And in the best of all worlds, prevention is always better if we can find a way. And so in the best of all worlds, everything we can do to catch it as it rises, to catch it when it happens, to deal with it, to process it, to get done with it. That is kind of the best of all worlds, especially because when we deal with it, when it shows up, just like that gazelle or whatever it was, shook it off and went right back to grazing. it's like, okay, I'm good, ready to roll, ready to function. So that's kind of the optimal we're aiming for. Unfortunately, when you look at the generational effects on children, it's hard not to have your heart break open when you realize that there's so much being done that are, Putting real constraints on children's development because they're being affected by these things. We don't deal with them, and then we become adults with all this history of unfinished stuff. And you know, then someone posts some snarky comment, and the next thing you know, we're ready to we're ready to hit someone. Just
0: engaged again.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a. I suppose one could say it could become a full time practice if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And my personal preference is, I mean, here, here it is, here's my rubber hitting the road, is I am so pleased that most of the crap that used to blow up on me, I can now catch. And I, much less frequently, do I have to clean up some behavior with someone. The, the, the prevention really, I always hated having to own my failings. And the ability to manage that stuff within me before the failings get expressed is a, it, is a great gift. A lot less pain and suffering in my life as a result.
0: Well, it sounds like you've developed and mastered a pretty good system for getting yourself to that buoyancy, that stay where you can it's a great shake it off. Yeah. yeah. And just in the
1: interest of, you know, being really honest, being human means you're going to screw things up. Well, of right. course, <laughs> it's like, you know, so all the more reason to have an active dynamic practice that keeps cleaning this stuff up because the, the price of not cleaning it up is too high.
0: Let's fast forward. Okay. You know, to when we achieve Nirvana, <laughs> peace on earth, goodwill to all men and women. Let's fast forward to... <laughs> 12:01 Eastern Standard Time on November 9th. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, it doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. You're going to be on one side of this thing. Yeah. How do you not go to bed in a state of despair or minimize that? Mm, yeah. Uh, well, just in keeping what we've talked about, I've been I've been actually
1: processing this stuff for weeks now. Sometime back I began to see how it was affecting me. And I realized that I'm a bit of a news junkie. And I have to admit, sometimes, you know, you see that you see that news item roll across and you go, Oh, I, what? What now? Right? And you just can't leave it alone. So, okay, so I mean I'm not perfect about that, but I've been I've been working my way through this stuff for weeks. And one of my longtime mentors said, That if you do the work in an anticipatory fashion, it's not going to be a problem when it actually comes. So hopefully you've been doing anticipatory work if you're listening to this. If you haven't, depending upon your perspective, I'd start in immediately trying to figure out how to process that. Get it done. Put it in your past. It'll be challenging, particularly if the person who won is offensive to you. But if you don't, okay, let's be honest. If you look at the political environment right now, it's so obvious people aren't letting things go. Right. Right? I mean, so much of the vitriol in this whole election has been stuff that happened decades ago. Right? Where something, and granted, some of it's very problematic. I don't want to minimize it. But the fact that what's starting so much of this vitriol up is something floated up from the ancient past, relatively speaking, you begin to see just how deeply this stuff has held on to. And then it begins to justify really some some inappropriate. I mean, there are things that people are doing that if you ask them to contrast it with their value set... They'd be deeply ashamed that they're acting the way they are. I mean, it dates back to two, three decades ago, mm-hmm. in some cases even further. So that it's never too late to start. If I were going to give the best advice I could give to someone, pick one of those broken relationships, one of the ones that you're wounded about, and take a deep breath and approach that person and say, Okay, it's done. Can we talk? and see what happens. Because if it goes very long, you're not ever going to talk to them again, and that means the healing will... <sighs> Oftentimes what we run into is people who are trying to let go of things that it's complicated by the fact that the person they're trying to get done with is dead. That's really difficult work, as anyone who's practiced it knows. So pick one that's uh, just enough of a stretch to, to really boost your practice your forgiveness practice but don't pick one that's so unforgivable that you to have to kill them or kill yourself um it's just it be reasonable but do something to begin to reverse it because the price is very very high and if not you know <laughs> if not for your own personal well-being and the well-being of your family do it because we're we're going to have to repair the fabric of this culture that we're all living in and it's going to be a bit of a climb <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Well, going forward, obviously we, we have a lot of work to do ourselves, on ourselves, mm. mm-hmm. in the interest of others. Especially with Thanksgiving just around the corner, followed Perfect, by Christmas. Right. Yeah, this seems right. to be <laughs> a great time of year to start the whole forgiveness practice before the yeah. new year starts.
1: Yeah, yeah. You get that great visual, right? It's like we're going to try and sit around a table. In some cases, with people that we have had bitter words with and we're going to pretend like we all are so loving and harmonious and then someone will drink a little bit too much eggnog or something and you know what's going to happen right somebody's going to say thanks obama (laughs) and it's like and off it will go and um it will probably ruin many a thanksgiving day and many days thereafter so i so there you go. See, it's perfect. Uh, so November 9th, Thanksgiving is on the 25th. I think so. That's like 16 days to do your forgiveness practice so you don't have to hurt someone at Thanksgiving
0: dinner. <laughs> we can all hope. Well, it's probably, it's probably worth trying. It's been a pleasure, Ron. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Shan. Appreciate it very much. Good conversation. Thank you for listening to the Speaking True podcast with Ronald Chapman. If you would like to engage with more content on forgiveness, please go to the blog at seeingtrue.com. To learn more about the art and practice of forgiveness, please subscribe to the email newsletter or email us at info at